<laughs> Just like that. Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to Death by Pod, the pod where horror is our only subject. <laughs> My name is Matt Hudson, and joining me is well, it's the one that lurks in the dark, isn't it? It's Elizabeth, a.k.a. Bloggy Balboa. How you doing, matey? Lurks in the dark. I like that. It's accurate. <laughs> a dark lurker. If you've ever seen her at a party, a she's the one lurker. in the corner. Just see a leering the dark at people. Lurker. <laughs> How you doing anyway? Oh, I am very, very well. I'm very festive today. Really? Why? Pissed? No, actually, I'm quite sober. It's um, it's because I've become obsessed with uh, Mike Oldfield's Ill Jubilo something or other. I saw that on the tweets earlier on. Yeah, and it goes, and it's brilliant, and it's just put me right in the mood. Right, well, I'm going to check that out. I know Mike Oldfield did a song that was in another film once before, but um, uh... I'm going to ch- I'm going to check that tune out later on because, to be fair, I know sod all about Mike Oldfield's discography, so I'll check it out. It's a brilliant Christmas song. How are you doing? Uh, I'm alright. I'm alright. I've just had tuna napolitana for my dinner, so I literally smell like a, like like a fish at the minute. What is that? Is that pizza? No, it's tuna pasta, some sort of tomato sauce, a bit of cheese, a bit oh. of the breadcrumbs, bosh. So it's a tuna pasta bake. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah basically, it's a, it's a pasta bake in it. Chuck it in the oven and you're done. <laughs> what about you? What did you? What did you nosh on tonight? What did I? I had a uh, southern fried crispy chicken, and I had some broccoli. That's very healthy. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Well, it's like half Iceland, half. You know, it's like a half and half. Yeah, yeah I agree. Oh, yeah, I can't, I can't whack a bit of Iceland. Kerry Katona couldn't. No, she couldn't. She couldn't move for Iceland, could she? <laughs> no, she couldn't. Enough of Kerry Katona stinking up the airwaves. What are we talking about this week on Death by Podmate? We are talking about the Babadook. Boom boom. Boom boom. And shall I tell you about it, or shall I tell you who directed it and stars in it? Let's get the admin done, and then I want to hear your synopsis. Okay, so it was directed by Jennifer Kent. It stars Essie Davis, Noah Wiseman. Hey, oh god, these names. <laughs> Haley McKinley. Haley McKinley. <laughs> Seven out of ten. And Daniel Henshaw. And the the movie is about an exhausted widow, as uh, as Wikipedia likes to call her. <laughs> A troubled and exhausted widow is set in Australia, and she's got a six-year-old son called Samuel. Um, but Samuel keeps making uh, monster catching contraptions because uh, their dad, the dad is dead and he thinks there's monsters everywhere that are trying to hurt his mum. And this gets him into a bit of trouble at school. And yeah, Amelia just can't cope anymore and she has a complete breakdown. But then she finds a pop-up book and the Babadook comes and haunts them. How was that? I think I couldn't have said it better myself, but I honestly couldn't. (laughs) Exhausted widow, chef kiss. (laughs) That was perfect, mate. Um, Thank you. Well, we ran a poll on Twitter before we jump into what we we think to see what you lads thought of the Babadook lads and ladies. Sixty-one percent of you said you liked it. Thirty-nine percent didn't, which is I want to say closer than I thought it would be. So two thirds of you liked the Babadook and one third didn't. Does that surprise you at all, Bloggy? Because I thought it might be a little higher in the yes category. No, it doesn't. I think the Babadook is because um, it's not it's not a 
traditional, traditionally scary movie, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and it's not as shocking as Hereditary for some mm. people. No. So, I'm, I, you know, I, fair enough, Twitter. Yeah, well, two people who did like it, Billy Friedkin, who directed a horror film in the 70s, he said, Psycho, Alien, Diabolic, and now The Babadook. I've never seen a, move, a more terrifying film. It will scare the hell out of you as it did me. And our buddy, Mark Commode, uh, he named this his favourite film of 2014 when it came out. So, high praise, but uh, I like to think Mark Commode does whatever William Freakin says. Yeah. If he jumps, he jumps too. Yeah, which is fine, because I quite like both of them. So, yeah, that's what they think. That's what you guys think. What did we think about it? Uh, Bloggy, The Babadook. First up, before we dive into it, did you like it? I love it. Good, because that makes it a lot easier, because so did I. Awesome. So I do think the Hereditary episode was great because I kind of liked it, you kind of didn't, and it balanced it out. But there will be things, I'm sure, in this film that you didn't like or or I didn't think were that great. But let's get into it then. So The Babadook, what's so good about it? What's so good about it? Um, I think uh, The Babadook is so good because it, it frames kind of a common issue that everybody has kind of experienced, like depression and grief. Um, and tries to put it in the eyes of a child mm-hmm. um i think the the idea of the babadook i don't think the babadook's really there i think he's a he's a metaphor but i think it's a brilliant way for children to understand looking at an adult who's depressed and grieving like that there's a monster that they have to fight and it makes it you know it's got the whole buffy thing to it that you know you can create a monster to fight because that's easier than saying, well, I'm grieving and I don't know what I'm going to do. So I think it's brilliant and I think it's uncomfortable and I think it's creepy and I just love it. Did you hear that? I've just heard a mic drop. Nothing's going to beat that bad boy. No. <laughs> <laughs> pow, pow. No, I've, yeah, fair, fair dues, yeah. It's, uh, I love it for pretty much the same reasons. It's a drama and a horror. And what Jennifer Kent, I think, has done quite well is managed to mesh the two together, which lots of people have tried, and other films have tried to be this serious drama. I guess you could say like Hereditary and have the horror elements, but I think what Jennifer Kent does is does it bloody well. Is that if you mm. if you take one away, you still get a good film. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. if you take if you take the horror away, you just still get that really sort of hard hitting family drama. And I was going to ask you about the Babadook, whether whether that guy's real or not, because the film goes into mentions that uh, Amelia, who's pl- who's played by S. C. Davis, Amelia, but Amelia's a kids writer, and that book just ended up on Samuel's shelf, the Babadook, Mister Babadook. Do you reckon she wrote the book? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Okay, because it wasn't. It. I don't know if it's implied in the film or not, but the fact that they keep saying you're a kids writer, you should do it more. Um, her sister Claire says, and then. When I was watching it, because I only watched it about six hours ago, except for the second or third time. And I was like, why is that book just on his shelf? Like, nobody's ever seen it. Nobody's like, where'd you get this book from? Really? Uh, And it's just on, and he's like, it's just on the shelf, which is like, okay. So, okay, it's a kid, like, book about death. So, yeah, I I just drew from that that she wrote it. Yeah, I think that she definitely did. yeah, and I think that like you said about the fact that she she was a kids writer. They keep talking about the fact that she was a kids writer, and you know the, the Babadook book is wrote a lot like a, a Doctor Seuss kind mm-hmm. of. It starts off very 
you know, oh, you could make friends with a special one, a friend of you and me and green ham and eggs. It's all very... very um, yes, it's all very playful, isn't it? And then he says, you wish you were dead. Yeah, and then he starts to kill the family. Yeah. But I... Chipper. She obviously holds a lot of resentment towards her son. And I think that the book is her coping mechanism. I think that she's, it's a cathartic experience for both of them. Well, seven minutes into the show, give or take. Spoilers, by the way. I forgot to give the spoiler warning, so there will be spoilers. If you haven't seen The Babadook, you now know what happens. But go and watch it anyway. It's only an hour and 36 minutes long. <laughs> then come and watch this. But yeah, because um, yeah, Amelia's husband, Oscar, they were on the way to the hospital to give birth to Samuel when there was a car crash and... Uh, Oscar died, so Sam's dad died in the crash. And obviously then Amelia's taken to hospital to give birth to her son. And it seems like she kind of holds that against him in some way. And obviously Samuel was Samuel's grown up with emotional difficulties, shall we say. He's a he's a troubling kid. And it's also the Babadook's also a very clear story about parenthood. Because mm. it's not easy, basically. And there are times when I looked at that kid and I thought, oh, I could throw you onto the middle of the road, mate. But then you think, I'm sure everybody's had that because I know my nipper is a pain in the ass sometimes. But then, but then she's lovely, and then she'll wind me up. It's just how it is, and doesn't matter who you are, you're going to get pushed to your limits. So I think it's a it's a trying record of that as well. And I think it's done really well. I, I wonder if I don't know if Jennifer Kent has if she's modelled it on herself at all. I haven't looked into that at all. But it's a really really well done. It's not just grief. And depression, but also just the troubles of parenthood. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think that's a that's a fair point because, like you say, like oh, I don't have kids, but I did work in a nursery, and it nearly mm. killed me. Yeah. Um, because I didn't have that kind of like uh, <laughs> they weren't mine, so <laughs> <laughs> so you could you could poke harder. their eyes when they weren't when the parents weren't around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just whisper like I hate you. I never did that. <laughs> I loved the children that I worked with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the ones that survived. Yeah, <laughs> the ones that I didn't feed to the Babadook <laughs> in sacrifice. But um, yeah, Kent, Kent's done interviews and she said that um, she never really wanted to approach the film as a straight horror anyway. Mm-hmm. She she wanted to explore the idea of how grief and suppressing grief w- would affect someone. Right. And obviously it's not just um, Amelia that's had to suppress that grief. Sam's been brought up with that grief like literally the day that he was born yeah. was a day of grief so um you know like birth and death are kind of really magically intertwined in this film so it's quite a it's quite a fun landscape to play with yes hilarious isn't it um <laughs> yes yeah, right on that they don't they don't amelia doesn't celebrate samuel's birthday on his actual day they they have a joint birthday with his cousin ruby same age so he's never actually celebrated his birthday on the day because obviously that was the day that his father and her husband passed away. Uh, so he's, he's always had that taken away from him as well, which I found interesting. But I mean, there's a couple of other wicked cool things before we get into what we liked about the film. Um, what about the old, what about the Babadook being a gay icon? He's a gay icon. You know, I heard about that. No. He was, um, it came from, I remember this when it was um, on, on the tweets and on Instas and all that, but basically I don't know if it's doctored or not, but do you know what Netflix says recommended for you? Um, yeah. It had that. It had the Babadook, and underneath it, its subcategory was LGBTQ. For so, whether that was a mistake or someone photoshopped it, but you know, Netflix categorised the Babadook as an LGBTQ 
film and uh the and then that community took him on board basically and at their at their pride marches they were holding up posters and signs of the babadook and jennifer kent was all on board he's like well you know he really can't get rid of the babadook he always finds his way into the into the public consciousness so he became an lgbtq icon and the american sleeve of the blu-ray has him against a rainbow background that's amazing yep, so the old uh, so the babadook had other motives but I thought that was quite a fun little thing to read. I remember it was a couple of years ago now, but I remember reading it on Twitter thinking this is the oddest thing because the film was literally devoid of any colour. It's shot so so well, so expressionistically. And then you've got, obviously, the, with the LGBTQ movement, which is just full of colour and life and verve, but somehow they made it work. That's brilliant. No, I'm I'm chuffed with that. Yeah, I think he's a. I think he can be a gay icon. I think he is. I think he's pretty pretty sexy. What he wears is quite a turn on. And yeah, I think he's got. I think behind that coat, because he even says, you know, what's behind my coat, basically, you know, but probably just love. Probably just what he's supposed <laughs> to get. He's supposed to get get out, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, let him in. Let him out. Let him in. And he's coming out of a cupboard as well. He's coming out <laughs> exactly. Of a closet. So he's literally and metaphorically an icon. Brilliant. But yeah, Google Absolutely it. Absolutely brilliant. Get on your Google, he's in it's on there. I'm going to have to now, yeah. Yeah, so after this, I want to hear what you think about it. So yeah, there's another thing, and Babadook in Hebrew means, literally means he is coming for sure. Does it? It's a real word, apparently. Because I, yeah, so I thought that the Babadook was a play on the Dada book. Ooh. Hello, did you come out that yourself? That didn't mean to sound patronised when I say that, sorry. That's how bad did, that sound mate. is. What a complete tool. Sorry, I didn't mean to sound like that. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Did you come out with that? Your girly brain, yeah? <laughs> no, I just, I've never heard that before. I was like, is that your own theory, I should have said? Christ's sake. Editing won't save this. Uh, all right, well, you know, first things first, go fuck yourself. <laughs> but yes, I did. I deserve that. Because I because it's supposed to be he I think the Babadook is Oscar or the memory of Oscar that's mm-hmm. just kind of looming, looming over the family, um, and uh, yeah I thought it was the the, the Dada book. Okay, no, but I I haven't heard that before, and oddly enough, it, it makes sense in a, like a weird way. Um, so no, nice one. The literal translation makes more sense, so I'm just gonna. <laughs> Well, yeah, gonna... I, I guess, but I didn't want to say that. Actually, <laughs> buried me again. <sighs> All right. Yeah, the the Hebrew version is, I suppose, slightly more on point. But no, the Dada book. Why not? Because there's clearly issues with 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 um Samuel. So about the film, then it's performances: Essie Davis, Noah Wiseman. I guess there are. I mean, we've got Daniel Henshaw plays a guy called Robbie, kind who works at the nursing home that. Amelia does. He's only kind of in it for a f- not very long. He's kind of like the slightly hunky colleague. And Hayley McElhinney plays Claire, which is uh, Amelia's sister, who's doing a lot better for herself. And she hangs around with the kind of hoity-toity who worry about being able to go to the gym. And her st- and her daughter is very, very spoilt. So they're in it, but I wouldn't call them major players. They're very much supporting characters. So Essie Davis and Noah Wiseman... I, what did you think about their performances? I thought both of them were really, really well outstanding. Really, mm. I mean, um, I was thinking about this earlier because I knew that you were going to ask, like, what do you think of their performances? Yeah. And like, going back to Cruel, when I was talking about <laughs> Taylor Scodelario, Scodelario, that's it. Um, you know, and her the the 
the physicality of having to put herself in the water and swimming around and everything. Mm. I think that um, Essie Davis kind of, there's still that level of, of physicality in this role, um, but it's just, it's more channeled like through, I think it's easier to kind of maybe swim around a lot than it is to act genuinely, you know, like hurt, contorted, mm-hmm. All of these, I think that her body language, especially, and this was brilliant, and Noah Wiseman, I don't know if they perhaps didn't film some of the scenes where he was actually there. They didn't. I don't know. I don't, I don't oh, no, they, know no, how no, they didn't. he actually okay. is. They didn't. Okay, yeah. He was well, six actually, at the time. Yeah, so they couldn't really have her, like, telling them to eat shit and stuff. But, um, yeah, he was great. Absolutely brilliant. Like, he, especially when he has that seizure. Yeah. It's funny that, that was yeah, because not that wasn't funny, but that's one of the scenes I picked up. <laughs> it's funny that that's one of the scenes I picked up on as well when I because I rewound it to watch it and I was like, damn, that kid actually is really good at portraying a kid someone having a seizure. I bet his mum has a terrible time with him. His actual mum like fakes fakes a seizure in Tesco. Like, yeah, oh yeah. no, he's fine. He's, he's an actor. He's method. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I know. I I think yeah. I, the kid actors sometimes wind me up like they do most people, and I know that's unfair because you know they're just doing their job. But I thought he was really, really good, and he wasn't in. He was in all of the scenes apart from the, like you say those ones where she tells him to go and eat shit basically, and when she's phys- verbally abusing him. Essie Davis was talking to a adult on their on their knees because Jennifer Kent said she didn't want to ruin a child's childhood just by making them perform in this film. So having an adult, basically, to the extent that S.E. Davis was, getting into her character, basically screaming at him and go, going going off like that, she thought it might damage him somewhat. So the re- yeah. so I think she's the reverse shots, where, where you can just see her, she's screaming at an adult on his knees, but the reaction shots are obviously him reacting to something. But yeah, I thought S.E. Davis was wicked, and you hit the nail on the head there. I don't know what you have to do to kind of get to those depths of performance where you can sort of genuinely look like you're that troubled. Like you're, you're the personification of grief. Because when I was watching yeah. it, I was like, damn. Because of the film, there's no words of grace. The film starts with a bang. She's already this exhausted widow at the start of the film. Mm-hmm. We don't, when we get a very quick shot, like first 30 seconds or a minute of this kind of hallucinatory dream of a car crash, which a lot of horror films, that's kind of the only tropey thing, one of the only tropey things I found about this film was a, a few other horror films start a car crashes. But, and then from then on, it's just Essie Davis looking tired and deteriorating more and more. So we don't start off happy. We get smack into it. And I don't yeah. know how you get into that, get yourself prepared into that state. I don't know if she deprived herself of sleep for real because bloody hell. I mean, she really brought it in this, and she was really good. I mean, I haven't really seen her that much. She was in Game of Thrones a couple of episodes, and she was in the Matrix sequels as a minor character. But I, don't, I haven't really seen too much of Essie Davis. But based on this performance, I don't know why not, because she's bloody marvellous. Who was she in Game of Thrones? Uh, Lady Crane. She was like, for like three or four episodes in like the fifth or sixth season. Mm, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, she definitely was. So, well, to be fair, I've blocked the last two seasons from my mind, I think. Yeah, I I haven't I haven't watched the last one. Oh, don't. I'm not missing anything <laughs> by the sounds of it, so... No. But, yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree with, with what you've said. I think, yeah, it would be interesting to know her process to get her into, or, or whether she has, 
dealt with this before having mm-hmm. a monster yeah. that lives in our house with her no, having her, <laughs> in the basement you know, like being, being in being in grief being bereft grief stricken grieving yeah that's the yeah, i don't know what words i'm trying to find being here in grief being in grief <laughs> you come out that yourself yes <laughs> <laughs> that's more like it <laughs> no um yeah, i thought i thought they were both brilliant and I mean, Claire was fine for the, for what she did in the film. I thought she was okay. Hayley, um, but well, she was a bitch, though, wasn't she? She was. She was, and and the people she hung around with. There's that scene. Let's just get into it. Let's uh, just. I mean, one of the scenes that I liked, what I liked, I thought was great, was the. I guess I'll call it the treehouse scene. It's kind of halfway through. It's not even halfway through the film. It's only about half an hour into the film, which I suppose is one third of the way through. And they're at Ruby's birthday party, and. Claire basically comes out and says to Amelia, I can't, I don't come around your house. So I can't stand being around your son. And the way she says yeah. it, it's like you bitch. Yeah. She's, she's horrible. Mm-hmm. She's absolutely horrible. I can't I like, I remember when she said that as well. And I was like, the, the way that the character reacts, the way that Amelia reacts is so like telling of somebody that is just, riddled with grief and depression that she doesn't sort of turn around and think do you know what actually sis fuck you like that's an awful <laughs> thing to say don't don't come over anymore she feels she clearly feels like guilty mm-hmm. and she feels like yeah Detective okay like well. we are. yeah like she she does get a bit annoyed doesn't she but not to the extent that perhaps i would get annoyed <laughs> <laughs> yeah no one gets that annoyed but and then because uh, samuel then pushes ruby out of the treehouse for there are reasons why it does that. But even then, Amelia's like, oh, we'll, I'll, we'll pay for everything. We'll, we'll do this. We'll do that. Even though her sister's just told her, basically, I think I hate your son. He's a piece of work. She's still yeah. she's still like, oh, I'll, 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 I'll sort your daughter out for you. It's that kind of, yeah, I know what you mean. It's not just looking at her sister and being like, you know, you know F you. It's saying, oh, well, I can't believe you said that. But I'm still going to hang around you. And I'm also going to, you know, be there for your daughter and pay for her. Pay for a uh, yeah. surgery after my son's has broke her nose in two places. Well, because she, yeah, the, 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 I was about to say she deserved it. She didn't, but she she provoked him. Well, she did kind of because she's a horrible little kid. Yeah, basically, and he just reacts violently because. Well, he seems to just react violently to everything, doesn't he? He's yeah. got some serious. Uh, He's got issues. And, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean. His mum's obviously not quite right herself, is she? Mm-hmm. So it kind of all plays out that way. I I really I really like that scene. I also really like where she has a go at her sister's mates. Yes, I absolutely love that bit where she's talking about. Um, I think one of them saying, "Oh, you know, like oh, um, I was talking to some of the disadvantaged women that I work with, mm-hmm. and they find it really difficult to." Um, do similar things, but you know, oh, I'm trying to go to the gym or whatever. And Amelia just snaps and she's like, oh, poor you. Something for you to talk about with those poor disadvantaged women. That's it. And that's, that's, yeah, that, that's the scene that proceeds, that's before that as well. It's brilliant because she's sitting there. Everyone's, all, these, with these women, like, you know, the, the it girls, all standing up, all, all made, all well made, all in their like chic outfits. And Claire's reveling. She loves being around them. You can tell that she's just lapping it up and, Amelia's sitting down with her black coat on, looking bedraggled, for want of a better term, and yeah. trying to deal with Sam Samuel because he's screaming. He does playing up. He doesn't want to go and play with the girls. 
and yeah, that, so she's annoyed at that and annoyed at them. And then, yeah, you get that kind of first world problem, don't you? She's like, oh, I haven't even had time to go to the gym. And you, you're thinking, Jesus Christ, is that, that's the extent of some people's problems. You don't, they don't understand what other people are going through. And it is that kind of saying where, you know, don't, don't hate until you know what someone's going through. Yeah. And I think as well, because don't, don't they say to her, ask her about her husband, and she says, oh, my husband's dead or something. And then she goes, oh, that's a shame. Some of the disadvantaged women I work with don't have husbands. And yes. She sort of tries, she draws, she tries to say that she's a poor disadvantaged woman, mm-hmm. basically. That's and it. it's, um, yeah, I, I, it's just a brilliant scene because you can see how venomous she is as well. And you know that her sister's going to just hate her for it. But you think, no, good on you. Like, stick up for yourself. Oh, yeah, exactly. And the woman who actually asked her that, I noticed it today, she said, oh, she mentioned her husband. And as soon as Amelia says, oh, he died. She, she's not even listening. She's actually walking off and doing something else. So she's asked her the question. Yeah. She's got no interest in the answer. And then you see the blonde woman says about the disadvantaged people. So, yeah, it's just... It's another good way of showing that it's she won't allow her husband to be mentioned. She represses it so much. I think she said for like seven years because her neighbour, the old lady, she keeps asking and she's like, please stop going on about him. It's been seven years. So, you know, the Babadook's the monster, but he's just like the visual representation of just grief as well for me. Yeah. So, but yeah, she doesn't want Oscar being mentioned. So as soon as somebody does, yeah, she snaps. And then in the treehouse, Claire's daughter, Ruby, is saying to um samuel you haven't got a dad you your dad didn't want to be your dad didn't want to be your dad that's why he died basically and you're sitting there thinking this is that's really awful kids yeah because mm. everyone goes oh kids can be awful sometimes but that's awful she's kind of chanting you know that like your dad died because you're his son basically and he snaps and again violence is never the answer we don't condone it and all that but you know he did kind of he snapped and pushed her out of the treehouse and there was a bit of me who thought hmm, good because it was an, it was you know, she was really was bullying him badly. Yeah, and I also got the impression as well that a lot of what that kid was saying she picked up off her mum anyway. Yes, good point. I don't know whether that was kind of I don't know if that was inferred as well that she said like oh my mum said that you're miserable or so she says something like my mum says and you're like oh so mm-hmm. she's already come and said something to her. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about that actually, but how. We were saying that Samuel's kind of Samuel and Amelia, their relationship is sort of tied by the fact that they both have their own issues relating to each other, and and then you've got the the on the other side where the grass is apparently greener. The mother and the daughter, just one, uh, Claire and her daughter, but one and the same. Yeah. So yeah, push her out of a treehouse again. <laughs> I don't condone I violence. Think... Claire should have been pushed out of the treehouse, in my opinion. I know, um, but uh, Cela V, if she wasn't, Claire survives the film. Yeah, Claire lives to see another day. That's why I'd like. Does that? It doesn't ever really get wrapped up, does it, with her and Claire? No, there's it's a phone just kind of left. Yeah, there's a phone call where she's on the phone to Claire and she's saying, "Look, she's got to have surgeries. Her nose is broken in two places." And Amelia says, "I'll pay for it." And she's like, "Do love." bruv, sis, you can't even afford your own rent, so, you know, jog on. And then she's like, I've got to go, see you later. Puts the phone down, phone rings again, she rings, goes to pick it up, and it's the Babadookie on the end of the phone. Uh, but that, and that's yeah. the last we last that we hear of her, because uh, obviously at the end of the film, Samuel has his birthday party, but nobody else is there, so she doesn't turn up to that. There's no happy ending for them, in terms of the family. Yeah. 
that's actually quite an interesting because I guess that's um, her sister was the only connection to any kind of social life or outside world. Admittedly, she wasn't a great connection because she wasn't very supportive at all. But um, she's kind of just basically saying, like, it's been seven years, like, get over it. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously when her sister turns around and says, no, I've had enough now, and then the fact that the Babadook phones her immediately after that conversation, it's like the whole, like, grief and isolation and feeling like you can't connect with people. Like, he's definitely, like, obviously if you've, I guess if you're like depressed and you're going through stuff and your kid's done something and you know that the reason that your kid's behaving the way that he is, is sort of maybe because of you or because of the dynamic in the house. Mm-hmm. I think all of that is, is a credit to Essie Davis because it's all over her face. Like these conflicting emotions that she's going through all the time where she's obviously scared. And I think that's her and Sam between them are fight and flight. Yeah. So he's making he's making weapons and he's going to trap the monsters and he's he's quite prepared to trap them and face them head on. Mm-hmm. Whereas Amelia's just running away, doesn't want to deal with it, lock everything in the basement. I don't want to talk about it. And so I think that that's why it's so important that they're they're at loggerheads and then eventually they come together and they deal with it together as a unit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's uh, because Samuel gets booted out of school for taking his weapons into school. Amelia's yeah. work life isn't exactly isn't exactly kosher. She goes to work with um, the elderly and nursing home. They can't hear her anyway, and they so she's kind of just she kind of laissez faire with them. There's a scene where she's playing bingo with them and she's calling out the numbers and they and one of them raises her arm and they kind of they either can't hear or they're just ignoring her. So she's like, oh, who's got number five billion? And her boss is there. And her boss is an absolute a-hole so she her boss doesn't make life easy for her at work neither do the people she works with apart from robbie kind of bearded half hunk who kind of fancies her a bit i think because um later on in the film he turns up with flowers and mm. um toys for samuel which kind of then drives him over the edge as well so he's kind of partly responsible but even when somebody tries to come into the house to be nice it backfires mm. and the neighbor yeah. as well yeah, the neighbour. Yeah, she's lovely, isn't she? I like her. She's like an old nan, isn't yeah. she? Yeah, I got really worried the first time I watched it that something was going to happen. And she keeps looking out of the kitchen lady. window, yeah. Yeah, I just, I really thought that she was going to go over and like murder that old lady or something. It was really bad. Like, I was really, genuinely, I was so worried. And they've got a dog as well. Oh, they do, don't they? What happens to the dog, yeah. Doggy? Gets strangled. Doggy bow blower. Yeah, the dog gets strangled <laughs> and then he gets his neck snapped in the most... One of the most harrowing scenes I've seen in a long time. I forgot how nasty that scene is. Doesn't she rip her teeth out before she afterwards, kills yeah, the dog? She does it afterwards. She, oh, afterwards, She yeah. chases after the dog and he's yelping, like, like that, and um, trying to get away from him. And it, she picks him up and she strangles him. And you can see the dog's legs are flailing. And then eventually she yeah. just snaps and his dog's leg goes limp. And I thought, oh, I hate scenes like that. With that oh, animal abuse. And then afterwards she drops the dog and just pulls her tooth out, you know, it's the sort of sane thing to do. But yeah, she pulls her tooth out and just throws it on the floor. That's right. Yeah, that seems really, really messed up. <laughs> yeah, I just wondered what you thought about the dog, because remember in Crawl, you were you were slightly yeah. worried that the dog was going to bite it. I'd, see, the weird thing is, is that in Crawl, I was really worried that the dog was going to die, because I think I knew the dog wasn't going to die, but in the Babadook, I knew the dog was going to die. But they foreshadowed it, didn't they, as well, in in, yeah. in her book, in the book, which when it came back to her. 
idea so when the book comes back to her it shows her killing the dog and I'm mm. like okay I already kind of knew that the dog was going to die when she um she keeps having those weird kind of moments on the sofa mm-hmm. where she wakes up and you don't really know whether it's day or night or if she slept or and there's a bit where she calls the dog over to to come and be with her and he like she's got him there for a bit and then he kind of wants to get off of her lap and I think that she Blah. yeah and she kind of I think she hurts him a little bit and he runs off but he doesn't want to be around her and stuff and I just thought yeah the dog knows like the dog's dead <laughs> yeah <laughs> the dog knows too much he's through the looking glass there yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then in, in that when the book came back because she Amelia tears the book up to get rid of it about Mr Babadook she tears it up tucks it away and it, she has a she has a really nice night's sleep. Finally, she gets some sedatives after the seizure. Uh, Samuel gets some sedatives. He sleeps through. She sleeps till like eleven a.m. She's proper happy about that first night's sleep she's had in ages. Best night's sleep. And then she wakes up in the morning, literally straight away. As soon as she goes downstairs, the door knocks and she opens it. There's nobody there. And then as soon as she walks away, all she can suddenly just. That was me banging on the door. The door just bangs and she goes out and it's the, the book is back on her doorstep, patched up with new words in it. And that's when you also see yeah, that the dog dead and I think you see you see Samuel dead as well. Yeah. But Samuel didn't get killed by her, which is what threw me off. Because I thought, is is this a, uh, a vision or a foreshadowing? In which case the kid and the dog are both dead, but obviously Samuel doesn't die. Just. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one because I guess if we're going to go along the the what I believe and what you've said that she made that book herself, mm. I think that um, she's made the book and it's kind of like a you know a subconscious thing that she's done. She didn't, I, I, you know, if we're going to be truly argumentative, the book was never there. She never. While she did make the book, I don't think that it's actually a real thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a a visual way of saying, like, she knows she's got a problem, but instead of dealing with it, she's just going to keep ignoring it and keep ignoring it, and she rips the book up. Mm-hmm. And when it comes back, it says, I'll wager with you, I'll make a bet, the more you deny, the stronger I'll get. Yep. And it it's almost like she's fucking with herself. Like, she's going, like yeah, okay, I'm going to spur my depression on. I'm going to wager with myself that I can ignore this problem for for so long that it's going to become an actual problem. It's literally going to come back to haunt her. Um, and this idea of kind of going on a murderous rampage or whatever and killing the dog, and it's this, I think it's the um, this self-destruction thing that's going on. I, I, I don't think that she ever really wants to kill Sam. I think that she just wants this. She wants an end to whatever pain she's going she wants through. To be free, yeah, yeah. And I think it is, you know, because then I think the book says that she's going to kill the dog, kill Sam, and then she's going to kill herself. That's right. Going to cut a slice she's of slit her own throat. throat. Yeah. So, because there's a there's a point where she, because um, it starts to become obvious that she's like she's getting possessed, isn't she? Mm-hmm. After that, she she rips the book up it comes back and she completely loses her well she loses it doesn't she um and she's hugging like oscar's violin yes because all the stuff all of his stuff is downstairs in the basement and she doesn't want anyone to go near it and she sees that sam's gone near it and she it makes her really angry but then she brings the violin upstairs 
and Sam's like, Mom, I'm really hungry. And she says, why do you keep talk, talk, talking? You know, like, like it, yeah, like the book, basically. She starts to talk in verse, like she's green eggs and ham. <laughs> and that's when she tells him to go and eat shit. <laughs> it's really harsh, that. It's not just what she says, but the way she says it. Like there's, yeah. like there's real hate in her eyes. And it's quite nice that Noah Wiseman, little lad, wasn't actually there. Because imagine having to shout that at a kid. Like a wide-eyed kid, but she screams yeah. it in like, "Why don't you go eat shit?" And he runs off. And after that, she starts waving a knife at him, and she cuts the phone cord because he's actually because uh, Sam tries to call the neighbour, the old lady, and she's like, "Can we come and stay with you?" Because I'm scared. And then she, yeah, she falls even more into this uh, state, and she cuts the phone cord. And she's like, "You're not going to disobey." She keeps saying, "You've disobeyed me. You've disobeyed me." And you can tell because what I noticed was about halfway through the film, the my sympathies, anyway, started to shift. Whereas the first half of the film, I was sympathetic towards Amelia. You could see that she's having a tough time at work. She's clearly not over her husband's death. Her son is a handful. Nobody seems to want to help her. Like the school's just like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna put him, we're gonna isolate him because we think that's best for him. And everything that seems to go against her, and her sister's an absolute bitch. And everything that seems to go against her does. And then about halfway through the film. My sympathies then started to actually shift to Sam, Samuel, because he is like that. Yeah. He's like, "Mummy, I just want, I want you to be okay. I, I, I love you. I want you to love me back." And like that, I, I'm hungry. I, I looked in the fridge and we got no food. And he's kind of, he, he where, where the, the further down the rabbit hole she gets, Samuel almost becomes like a little boy again. I'm trying to be careful because mm-hmm. well, I don't want to downplay anything, but you know he. He becomes like a lot more innocent almost, and he's just like, I just want everything to be okay, mum, and I just want some food, basically. And she's the one who's actually now given the problems, whereas, before, whereas the first half, Samuel was like driving her out of her brains, and this other way around now, I mean, realistically, she's driving Samuel out of her brains to the point where he's begging, Look, I just want my mum back, I just want everything to be okay. So I noticed that it kind of the allegiance of sympathy shifted halfway through. Yeah, no, it definitely did, and I think, um. You're right in the sense of he he becomes more like a a little boy again. He's not um, he's not screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's not he's not putting glass in her soup. You know yeah. he's just he's um, he's stopped he's stopped with this notion of like any attention's good attention, and he started to realise I think that. Um, whatever negative attention his mum's going to give him now, she's probably going to kill him. So it's best to just be like, <laughs> uh, you know, is everything all right? You cool? Hugging dad's violin there, I see. Uh, I'm going to leave you to it. If you want to feed me ice cream, that's totally your cool mum. Uh, you know? <laughs> didn't he, even eat the marshmallows. He didn't even eat the marshmallows. Because she keeps going, she keeps trying to drug him, doesn't she? Right, yeah, she keeps saying, take take the pills and she keeps making him stay up later and later, so he has his pill for longer. So he obviously kicks in later, and he gets and she gets more sleep or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that that bit's really um, that bit's really bad. But I think um, from a from a mental health perspective, it's um, the fact that she's got his violin. The fact that because um, we we see. Um, before she tells him to go and eat shit, we see the Babadook kind of crawl into her mouth. Yes, that's right, yeah. She, she, she wakes up and the Babadook's hanging over her and it kind of like 
goes into her mouth and so it's kind of like oh she's possessed but I guess in a mental health kind of way it's this idea that she has finally let it in because the whole thing is you 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 let him in don't let him in don't let him Mm in and I think that when you're going through something and you say oh the first step is acceptance like she never did that first step she spent seven years going nope Nope, you know allow that I'm just gonna boil this off for, for seven years yeah and I think it's so when you start to to actually face up to to what's happened in stuff you do you do dip quite you know like going through therapy and stuff if you face up to certain things you get more depressed before you get better mm-hmm. and i think that this is that she's she's mourning all over again she's going back through this you know i'm not going to eat i'm not going to sleep but then she's forgotten that she's got a son she's got a dependent that she's got to take care of and she's obviously really resentful for that because she just wants this time to heal Mm -hmm. and she isn't quite getting it but at the end of it sam ends up being the one that pulls her out of it and he saves her yeah the power of love i had in my head at the time but (laughs) from above yeah um because at one point (laughs) in the film she she crashes into some guy's car and he's like, ah, you crashed into my car. Oh, you've got a kid in the back seat. And I've got to say, that guy was the worst actor I've seen in a long time. Yeah, he was really abysmal. Uh, if you're listening, mate, apologies. But you weren't good in, sorry, in that. Sorry. Yeah, he wasn't great. Yeah, because <laughs> um, yeah, she gets possessed in what I thought was a pretty cool scene, actually. is um, It's when Oscar appears to her for the first time and she, in the basement and she gives him a cuddle and he's like, bring me the boy. And she's like, don't call him that. And then she realises who it is. And she runs yeah. away locks herself in the room and then the hat falls from the fireplace otherwise that's brilliant yeah that's really awful because yeah the hat drops and that's when you know like shit's about to drop now because she's locked herself in i thought that was so well framed and it's a great idea uh, and well executed as well and then and basically that's when that's when our dookie babadook possesses her she's tries to crawl away but she almost kind of just gives up and just like lets him do it I thought that he, like, because the way that she, like, stops in the floor, I always thought that he'd maybe, like, stood on her back. Because mm-hmm. she does, yeah, she stops, stops she and arches, kind of, kind like, of yeah. yeah, she kind of stops and arches, and then when she turns around, his face is just over her face. Mm-hmm. But that was, in terms of horror, that's probably the scariest bit of the film, I think. Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, probably. I mean, other than, like, the putting your tooth out in terms of gore, and mm. some of the bits you get towards the end. I mean, you don't see anything necessarily, but the very end scene in the basement becomes kind of horror-y. It reminded me a bit of things like The Conjuring and stuff like that. But I suppose it, what you could call it that, the most horror-y set piece. Yeah, I think it's the most, like, well, paranormally, mm-hmm. which is the kind of horror that I'm in for. I can watch people pull their teeth out and kill their dogs. Sort Your of all beast. day. Might have to have a bit of a break. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to go and pet your dog, but yeah. Yeah, to to, to go and not kill my dog and um, just enjoy him for his aliveness. What a lad, yeah. Yeah. Apart from I can't because my dog's ages away, but that's different. Still there, though. Just... <laughs> He's still alive. As far as I know, my mother hasn't ripped all her teeth out and killed the dog. <laughs> mother Howler, does... put the dog down. Yeah. <laughs> If that has happened, though, and, uh, you know, this is a good alibi for me, isn't it? Because I'm recording here with you. Nothing to do with me. No, Elizabeth did not harm the dog. No, no, I did not. End of. But yeah, the dog dies. 
I guess then Samuel Samuel throws a dart at his mother, and then and then he throws a cricket ball at her, then he stabs her in the leg. So I guess, and then he hits her with a cricket bat, which is like the most Australian thing. Um, <laughs> hit with a cricket ball and a bat. So I guess that's a kind of like, again more horror rather than perhaps supernatural paranormal. That's the kind of horror type thing. But he kind of he does a number on her and ties her up in the basement. The ending of the film, so that entire set piece from when he ties, when she awakes and she's t- awakens and she's tied up. What did you think about that? Because I watched it and I thought, I want to know what Bloggy thinks about this. When she's tied up and, like we mentioned, the power of love. What, what, what do you think about that? Oh, it made me really upset. It did genuinely like it. it I was scared and stuff, but I was very, very emotional. Mm-hmm. When, um, you know, he says, you know, I'm not going to leave you. I know you don't love me because the Babadook won't let you, but I love you and I always will. And he says, like, you let it in, you have to get it out. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like her son's doing intervention therapy with her and he's saying, like, you know, I know that you don't love me because you've been depressed since I was born, so right. you can't love anyone, but you've you've got to sort this out because we've reached a point now where you're, like, killing the dog and ripping your teeth out. So um, I thought that that whole scene was... Because it's all been, it's all built up as well. Because you see him making those traps yep. way before, and it's like really when you watch the film back, Sam has got more emotional intelligence than his own. And I think again, that's other people notice that you've got depression before you do sometimes. Mm. And I think her son obviously knows, like straight up, there's monsters in this house. There's some demons that we've got to get rid of here, but. Um, it's going to be messy, so I've created all of these traps in the room that is full of in in the dad room. Yeah, you know it's. Um, but no, I thought that it was all really good, and then she, even though she throws up and gets it all out, it's still not. It's still not over, is it? No, I guess to see yeah, she vomits up this black shit. And I think you're meant to then believe that that's her expelling. The, the Babadook, the power of Christ has compelled her to get that stuff out of her. <laughs> and he kind of like, yes, this is it. You've done it. And it's, it's right, because Samuel, because she manages to break free of her shackles. She basically uses the adrenaline rush. She pulls herself yeah. out and she starts strangling Samuel. And he reaches down and he starts touching her face. Oh, he pats her face. That's it. And, like, oh. Oh. And, he's just, and he's like, we just wanted you to be happy, mummy. Like, oh, God. Because um, even then before that, he says that exact word, it's wanted to be happy, mummy. And she's like, oh, I just want you to be happy. Sometimes I just want to smash your head against a brick wall until your fucking brains pop out, is what she says to him. And then she screams, yeah. like like the antithesis of Darth Vader. She screams, I am your mother! Like, really hate-filled yeah. at him. And that's the build-up to this scene, I believe. Uh, and then we yeah. and then we get to that part. And yeah, because yeah, when I was watching it, I did think, oh... Is love gonna save him? Like in that kind of like he's gonna touch her face and then you're gonna her eyes are gonna roll back and then oh it's gonna be expelled and it's gonna be happy. And if that had been the the ending, I wouldn't. I would have thought ah, uh, not yeah. Or it's a good ending, but a bit corny. But that's not the ending because Samuel quite like you say Sam's the one with a bit of um, nouse about him. He says you know he reminds us like you can't get rid of the Babadook. And then he gets dragged back up the stairs again, so it's not over. And I love the fact that they they pulled the rug underneath you. Yeah, and I think as well that that bit is about 
she's realized that she's got a problem and she's kind of she's expelled it she's got rid of it in time um <laughs> seven in years time. <laughs> in time yeah so she's thrown up and she's realized what her issue is but sam has still got his own issues and that's what it you you can't get rid of the babadook and then he gets dragged back upstairs it's like which leads her to the scene where she fully realizes no, like, this is my son, and I'm going to protect him, and I'm his mum, and me and him are going to, we're going to figure this out, because mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's all well and good being like, oh, yeah, Amelia's fine, but poor kid. Yeah. Like, going through all that. Yeah, going through all that, and it's like, she goes up to the bedroom, and she's forced to watch. That's the first time that we actually see, because it's always... um what is it he says oscar says something like oh it looks like it's gonna rain and then the car the car crashes um and when they go into the bedroom um that's the first time that we see how that ends which is he obviously he gets decapitated doesn't he which he gets half um, his head sliced off yeah half his head gets sliced off yeah so i mean all i can imagine is that she's in the passenger seat with her husband with no head. Proper JSK moment. Proper hereditary moment. Yes, but only halfway though. Ba-da, ba 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 Ow! Yeah. <laughs> but he, get, he gets half his head sliced off in like some uh, admittedly dodgy CGI, but only had a budget of $2 million, yeah. though. And that's when she, you know, she says, if you touch my son again, I'll fucking kill you. And that bit's really awesome. And you're like, yes! Like, you're trespassing in my house. Yeah. And she gets proper, like, I am woman, hear me roar. And it's amazing. And I think then, you know, and there's, she's cuddling Sam and Sam's, it's the first time that we see them actually have any kind of physical contact Mm -hmm. where she hasn't recoiled. She has to, she's fully become his mother and he's fully become the child again. And I think um, that whole scene's really important because it doesn't go away. They have to keep it in the basement. Yeah. And they have to feed it worms and earth, which is all very grave, death, burials. Mm-hmm. I think, that, yeah, I, I'm really happy with how it ended. But like you said, I think if it had just ended with, you know, a bit like The Conjuring, with like, you know, I love sorts everything out it's um it's a bit much isn't it yeah the way this ended is is I, I liked it the way this i thought she was going to throw down with the babadook at one point i generally thought she was going like, to try and lay one on him because she's screaming at him and the bab and old dookie is kind of recoiling back into the shadows and that's what yeah. i thought it's bloody hell and um but again the performance in that scene is outstanding like, it's, it's ridiculous mm. like grade a performance from S.E. Davis, and yeah, it's her facing, it's that cathartic moment she faces up to what she's been repressed for, repressing for so long. She has to relive her husband die, dying, but she's got to come out the other end somehow. And then she touches mm. the Babadook, because she, she, the Babadook's um, suit falls to the floor and she touches it and it all goes off again. But when she screams at him, because that's, that's, that's what it is, because the she touches his hat and she obviously the baby do get, you know, recharges itself or whatever. And then she just screams to high heaven at the damn thing and it retreats into the basement. And I thought, Christ, she scared it away. And then that's when I realised that actually it's gone into the the room where, where with all her husband's possessions. And when she goes in there to feed him or to feed it, old dookie, 
she's when she comes out, Sam's like, "How was it today?" And she's like, "It was karma today." So she's been able to go into that room and face it on that day, mm. and it's been a bit, you know, hasn't hit her quite as much as you would do. So it's her learning to deal with it and taming the beast, literally, which I think is very good because you could you could just see it as you could misread it as there's a monster trapped in the basement and they feed it worms, but obviously it's more to it than that. Yeah, there's there's, and I think that's why. Obviously, now this film has got a lot of praise and people really liked it. But I remember on Twitter at the time, people were moaning about it and being like, oh, it's not really that scary. And I'm like, what? no, it's not. <laughs> Obviously, everyone's like, got their no. threshold, but it come, uh, nothing's objectively scary. But, it, you know, there is, there is, it's got an atmosphere to it, isn't there? Yeah, there's definitely. I mean, and I suppose I, I could turn that argument back on myself with Hereditary but I just um, I felt that everything about Hereditary, like I compared it to The Babadook because yes. it, it's it's a drama and a horror. But this film ended well, and I think that's like that sounded so tight. But he, like this film had a point. There was a, this film is clearly about depression. This film is clearly about dealing with it. I mean, even the fact that her six-year-old son has got more insight on how to ask people about depression than some people, some members of my own family, you know, like yeah. how, how is it today? Yeah. It's quieter today. You know, he didn't give up on her. He didn't, um, at the end of it, he just wanted his mum and he wanted to be loved. And all he wants to know is, yeah, I'm going to give you that time to go into the basement by yourself. I know I'm not ready, but how was it today? Mm -hmm. Are you okay? How's everything going? It's, you know, just, that, that child has got more um, insight into how to react to somebody that is depressed and is grieving than I think most adults, admittedly, it's all been written for him. But yeah. <laughs> but you're right, though. I need, I need a six-year-old son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, go and find one. They're easily available. Um, yeah. And in return, she becomes more encouraging of his habits, where, she, where he's like, what weapons? And and his magic, which he's, he's been doing in the film, and she's never shown really much interest. And at the end, he does a magic trick, and she's like, wow, that's amazing, like generally enthused for him. And uh, the social workers who, who came around in about the middle of the film to check on him, because obviously he hadn't been he'd got taken out of school, um, and whether they'd spoken to her sister or not, I don't know, but they came back around, they came around again, sorry, at the end of the film, and... And they ask, oh, is it your birthday party today? And Samuel says, yeah, we don't usually have it on this day because my dad died in a car crash. Uh, before that in the film, uh, Amelia was said to him, you know, look, you can't, you cannot say what comes into your mind. You can't just say whatever you want because he also mentioned the neighbour just having Parkinson's and that's why she shakes like that, as he said. And she's like mortified by that. Whereas at the end, he's like, yep, he's just like his dad. He says what's on his mind, basically. And these social workers yeah. are like, Okay, we're gonna find we're gonna he's they've spooked them basically, but so she's accepted him and his foibles, if you will, and how he is, and likewise he's done the same for like you've just said, he's accepted that his mother needs time, but is yeah, like you say, he's there to kind of be like a shoulder almost to cry on or just a sympathetic um ear, yeah, I mean obviously i don't I don't condone um any adult leaning on the emotional support of a six year old. <laughs> That's probably not the best way to go, but no, yeah. um, and cinematically. I think that cinematically though it's great. Does she wonders? Her complexion looks great. Yep. She's a new woman. She's glowing. She got um, heels on. 
She's got oh, has she? She has heels oh, on. That's a bit. That's a bit pony. <laughs> <laughs> she does. She has heels. Only about an inch or two, but she has heels. Okay. All right. Well, only an inch or two. That's fine. Um, I, I, but I really, really like the whole thing with the worms. I really do. I think that the worms just ties it all off nicely. Mm. Um, also, because worms eat the dirt, don't they? So yeah. it's kind of. Um, and then they shit the dirt back. I think that the worms in themselves are kind of like how birth and death are going round in one big circle in this film. Um, I think that the worms just 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 put the icing on the metaphorical cake for me. It makes me so happy because then I'm like, yeah, like you know, they, they they give to the earth, they take it away, rah, you know, burials, death, life, magic, Babadook food, Babadook food. Yeah. You know, you're right. There's a lot more to it. Again, you could just see this as, yeah, they're feeding a monster in the basement. That's rubbish. But it's, that's clearly not what the end of the film is trying to portray. Uh, and I think you're right on that. It's, it is, there is a lot more to it than just that. Um, you mentioned um, H. Hereditary. Hereditary. Obviously, this film didn't have um, Essie Davis floating, headless. So, no. in terms of... But what you did mention was the... Like the link between them is like a undeniable kind of um, familiarity between the two stories. Almost, who did it better though, Tony Collette or Essie Davis? Putting you on the spot in an unfair question there. Ah, oh, Tony Collette. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Yeah. <laughs> um. I'm glad I asked that question, and not you. I Tony Collette did it better because. Um, because of that scene where she goes to the grief counselling, um, I think Tony Collette ha- gave me more of a emotional reaction. Essie Davis made me feel genuinely, genuinely uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, and I felt I felt more sympathy for Essie Davis than I did Tony Collette. But I had more of a physical, emotional reaction to Tony Collette's performance. Than I did Essie Davis. No, fair but enough. what about you? Um, I thought about that whilst whilst watching the film, and I found it hard. Oh, so you gave yourself a head start. Yeah, the difficult question. I did. All right, I did. we'll answer then. Come yeah, on, it's your turn next time. Um, <laughs> no, I, no, I, th- I, I think I agree. I think Essie Davis' performance was more a lot more raw. I think there was no there was no airs or graces. She didn't really have that as many big moments. Whereas Tony Collette obviously had the the um some of the scenes towards the end. She had the the seance scene where she kind of starts to lose her mind. The the dinner scene, which was kind of like a absolute monster performance. Essie Davis is kind of just consistently, yeah, like you say, unnerving throughout. She had, obviously towards the end she explodes more with "I am your mother" and "Why don't you go and eat shit" and all that. But I think during it she just got she carries this unnerving, this kind of it's like a time bomb almost, where you know behind her eyes this is a woman who is spiralling out of control and she's desperate to hold on. But the cracks show, the cracks are slowly showing. With Tony Collette, I think she's a lot more out there with her performance, but I think her performance was bigger. I think it was better. It affected me more, like like you say. But not by much, though, I've got to be fair. Not by much. Yeah. I think if we had a moment with Essie Davis where she sat down with somebody and just talked about Oscar's death, mm-hmm. um, then... I I think that would have been a harder question to answer um, because I think they both have the, 
I think they've. Oh, can you imagine if they were in a film together? Because they're both Australian as well, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they are. And I forgot Tony Clare was Australian. Yeah. She. Yeah. That would. Um, be great. That would be amazing. Yeah, because we could have both of their characters, like before she lost her head, together. They could. They could have been in the same okay. counselling counselling session. One, yeah, like so, like Tony Collette could be like the, it could be like The Sopranos, <laughs> but with Tony Collette and Essie Davis. Yes, oh, yes. And Essie Davis is like, my husband's died. I think there's a ghost in my house. And then Tony Collette's like, that fucking face on your face, and she's <laughs> yeah. just like, yeah, Close. like it would just be brilliant. And then she says, why don't you go and eat shit? And great, That's, I like it. Yeah, we could do that. So one's husband lost half its head in a car accident. One's daughter lost a whole head in a car accident. And that could point scoring. Yeah, nice. It could be called. It could be called giving head. <laughs> Don't lose your head. <laughs> no, then, no, it's got to be called giving head. Yeah, you got a head. To get, to, you got to get a head to give it. Yeah, um, <laughs> two heads are better than one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and Tony Collette. Oh no, let's not go there. Of oh, floaty herself. So, um, Babadook. Before we move on, then. Obviously, let's we, not get ahead of us. Let's not get ahead. Yeah, let's not lose our heads. Blah blah. Give head. We know clearly we both like this film. Clearly we both thought this was excellent. What was the one thing that stood out to you? And what was was there anything that you thought was a bit pap, a bit mince? The bit in the police station. Yeah, we didn't even mention that. Yeah. No, the but that because that's I don't know. There's just um because she she burns the book as well, doesn't she? And yes. then she goes in to say. That the police and it kind of actually it reminded me a lot of a scene the scene in Ghost where she goes to the police and says, um, I think that there's a ghost in my house or something, and they all just like oh, laugh yeah. it off as if like I oh, yeah, grieving mental woman. Essie Davis obviously doesn't even get to that point. She just completely freaks out and leaves the police station. Well the two the two young police officers in the background do laugh at her. Oh, do they? Yeah, because he says, oh, what, you know, she, he bought, I'm being stalked and, you know, he's, he's leaving stuff outside my door. And the police chief's like, what's he leaving? He's like, she, he bought me a children's book. And the two officers in the background kind of snigger and she looks at him and they stop. Oh, yeah. And then she's like, a book that has images of my child being murdered. That's it, yeah. yeah. But nobody did, like, I don't know. I just, I thought that scene, um, I felt that it could have been expanded on more, maybe. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, why did why did she feel compelled to go to the police? What made her so anxious that she felt like she had to leave? Why was the Babadook there with her? Were those people really laughing at her, or did she just imagine it because she was paranoid? Like, I feel like there was there should have been more of her going to ask for help and not getting it. Mm-hmm. I think that that was the only time that she she tried to go and ask for help, and it. I just felt the fact that the Babadook was kind of like there hanging up on the coat hooks. I was just a bit like, oh. Come on, mate. That was the only bit that I just thought was a bit crap. But the rest of the... I cannot think of one scene. Maybe the cockroaches somewhat, but even that, I don't think that the cockroaches turning up was even that bad. I'm trying to think of things that I didn't like, but I think... Nothing. I don't. I don't think there was anything that I didn't really like. Interesting. Oh, uh, I guess like the the, the the dream sequence. Which one? Uh, the one that's um, you know, it got the uh, it's got the journey to the moon, 
and it's got the Black Sabbath video oh, and yeah, it's got yeah, yeah. bits and pieces which are all if you know about film and you know but then you know what they are and you're like oh yeah look it's an, and you know like it had shots from Dr Caligari and all this kind of weird German expressionism mm-hmm. horror and fantasy and then Black Sabbath and then something else and something else and it's like that was the that was another bit where I just felt a bit like it was a bit uh, hereditary, like kind of like. Mm. <laughs> it, it reminded me of a Smashing Pumpkins video. Half of that stuff did, especially Billy Corgan to just drop in and start singing. Yeah. Um. What about what on the flip side? Like, is is that your answer in terms of the rest of the film was just too good to pick anything else out of? I can't think of anything that that I've I saw from the Babadook that I really really didn't like. Apart from, you know, there were some bits that fell flat compared to the others. But for the sake of two minutes, I'm not going to condemn a film. No, no, of course. That'd be silly. It would, yeah. No, I really enjoyed it. Was there anything that you didn't like? Not really, no. Other than like, the very beginning with the with the car crash kind of visual. Only because, again, I've seen it in other films, like uh, A La Interior, Inside, it's called. Yeah. Wicked film. But it starts off with a car crash and... Um, even like film, even like so many films start of that. Like even like really X Men Dark Phoenix, which started of a car crash and carried on being a car crash. But um, but um, <laughs> so many films start and I don't like it. I think just start, just start a film. Um, but again, thirty seconds. Oh well, quickly got over that. H- had the film ended with the power of love scene, yeah, that would have been a slight issue. But it didn't. Uh, and that, that that actor who was like, "You crash into my car. You've got a kid, a kid in the back." Blah blah. Didn't like him, but again, small things. Sorry, when you mentioned the police scene, I was like, when you think about it, that scene is kind of just dropped in there. It is like about a minute and a half, two minutes. It is just like kind of dropped in. If you take that scene out, nothing changes about the film. It almost feels like she put that in there so people wouldn't go, oh, if I was in that situation, I'd just go to the police. Yeah. Like, why should it? You know, and it's almost like, I don't know. No, you are. Yeah. It's a, strange, it's a strange scene, but... It doesn't ruin the film. No, yeah. There's nothing in this film that detracts from it in any way. And I'm not going to come out and say it's a perfect film because there aren't many of those out there, but it's damn near it. I think it's brilliant. Rewatching it today, I forgot just how good it is, how powerful it is. And it is a, it is a, it's a chilling film because there's different ways you can put it. Scary, terrifying, haunting, chilling, whatever. It's a haunting film. It's chilling. Uh, it gets under your skin as well. Like you say, because it feels so real at times and I mentioned yeah. in the last show we did and the one before that as well I love horror films where you kind of get lost in them because actually this shit feels real it feels like it could happen to you obviously you get like the thing crawling across the ceiling and whatnot now but like the the crux of the film feels so real or grounded and I love those kind of films and I think this film was spectacularly good yeah I really really enjoyed it Yep, it goes to the top of my list of the film, of the ones we've done so far. Oh God, I need to get my because I've wrote all these down now because you did this to me last time and I can't remember what I'm doing. Oh, I ain't even going to bother. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, mine's on. gone top of. Yours has gone to the top of. Yep. Um, Above the Conjuring. <sighs> no, no, mine's still going to be the Conjuring because the Conjuring did genuinely scare me, okay. and as embarrassing as that is, I, c- I couldn't sleep. So no, so it, that is an that is generally quite a scary film. And I we said it as well when we rewatched it. You forget actually just how shit scary it is at times. It is. And then it so got I pants think with the S sequel, sorry. Yeah, no, it did. It was crap. 
it, to be fair, in, on rewatching that film, it's really not that scary. It's not that scary. I don't know why it freaked me out so much. Some I just don't like hanging. Are. I just don't like don't like things hanging, mm. especially humans or witches with their feet pointing the wrong fucking way. Yeah, fair oh, enough. Very much. Well, it was a bit at the end as well when they're doing exorcism and the woman's got the thing over her head. And there's just blood starts coming out, and her face, and then later on, her face is just horrendous her to look at. Her face is horrible, yeah. yeah. Her face is scarier than The Exorcist, mm. I think. What? I think that she looks scarier than The Exorcist. Oh, we'll take this offline, love. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's, and, and the noises she makes as well, like the, the squeals and the squeaks are just oh, awful. But, um, but yeah, anyway, I'm putting it to number that. one. But you're done, All so right. you're putting it at Conjuring still number one. Conjuring's number one, Babadook's number two. And then everything just goes down accordingly. So it goes Conjuring, Babadook, Fright Night, Crawl, Gerald's Game, Halloween, Hereditary. Sweet. Mine was the same apart from this: the Babadook and the Conjuring switch places. And on your list, Crawl and Gerald's Game, I think, switch places, I think, was how it okay. was. Or was it Hereditary? One of the two. I'll write this down for next week. I didn't realise you'd be so prepared. I'm, I'm sure I'm, I've been made to look silly. But um, I went, honestly, it's not. It's because I um, I I had to write it down last week because you kept telling me what the films were and I couldn't remember. Well, I've got a queen. <laughs> um, well, I'll have to write them down for my own self then. But I'll put in a Babadook as this, after these seven episodes we've done. This one is the best film we've seen. So um, as we do on Death by Pod, we're going to end up with a with a little game now, a cheeky little game, and in honour of the Babadook duck, duck, knocking around, knocking on doors, knocking in people's minds, just coming in oh. uninvited. We're going to do some knock-knock jokes, aren't we, Blocky? We are. We're going to do three knock-knock jokes each, and we're going to see who's got the worst sense of humour. Okay. So what? How, what who's, how are we determining a winner from this, or are we just going to tell jokes? Uh, We'll see how it goes at the end. All right. Okay. So should we, are we going to alternate? Yeah. Let's alternate. Right, well, ladies first. I went first last week. All right. Okay. Knock-knock. Who's there? Beats. Beats who? Beats me. <laughs> this is the level you're going to get, guys. <laughs> um, well, I didn't get that. Knock, knock. Who's there? Itch. Ooh. Oh, okay. Okay, etchy. Bless you, my friend. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to get it. Well, you did get it. <laughs> I did, well, this is it. Do I ruin your joke? Yeah, if you know it, throw it out there. Okay. Two points right, well, Yeah, okay. I would have got that one, but we won't. We won't. <laughs> I would have <laughs> got, got it now you said to. it. <laughs> God. What knock, lid. knock. Who's there? Yoda lady. Yoda lady who? Yes. Yoda lady. Well, two points to Matt. Knock, knock. Ooh, who's there? Robin. Oh, is it like, oh, I'm going to rob you? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Robin who? Robin you, hand over the dosh. Brilliant. Awful. So, two points to Bloggy. Is it the last one? Knock, knock. Who's there? No one. No one who? Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> For sake. Remain silent. Silent, oh, for Christ's sake. Uh, I've just literally just fallen into that one. I'm I'm so bad. You ready? Yes. Knock knock. 
Who's there? Voodoo. Voodoo, you think you For are? Sake. Yes. Is it that? Yeah. yeah shut the front door. The door has no, been shut. Not. It is. <laughs> Cock. Well, oh, I'm flabbergasted. You were going to call me something worse. I would never do that. <laughs> this is a family show. Is it? No. Um, but still. Oh, well. You just go and eat shit. <laughs> you take your fucking face on that face. <laughs> well, after that one, Bloggy scores four points and Matt scores two points. Yay. There we go. So that means that after three games, Elizabeth has a total of eight points and I've got four points. So uh, Bloggy clearly knows better at these games than I am. Or she's got a worse sense of humour. Ba-ba-ba-do-do-do-do. Dog, you can make a little, right little jaunty tune out of that. What now? If you want. Um. Uh. uh ba <laughs> No. Knock, knock. <laughs> Who's there? Poop. Poop, pee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, childish. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's a uh, that's a death by pod games and a Babadook guys. We know that sixty nine percent of you thought. Um, you liked this film. Hey. Said you liked this film. I tried to not to say anything. Said you liked this film. 31% didn't. What did you think, though? Did you, those who listened to maybe didn't vote, what do you think of it? Did you agree with us? Are we talking out, out of our backsides? Uh, or do you disagree with anything we've said? Let us know otherwise. But um, yeah, that's the Babadook episode. So yeah, nice one, Bloggy. Can I say, those of you who didn't vote in the poll, please make sure that you vote in the general election. Yes, we've got a folk, we've got an upcoming vote in the in the UK coming very soon. I shan't say who I'm voting for. So it's not. I don't think it's that kind of podcast. But you can, you know, you can be a conscientious objector to the Twitter polls. But and that's all I'm going to. But 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 Obviously, if you're not in the UK, then don't worry about it. You're fine. Yeah, just carry on with your. Just it's yourself that's fucked. You know? Yeah, <laughs> carry on with your own world, like your own leaders. But um, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, thank you guys for listening, Bloggy. Thank you very much for joining in once again. And thanks for having me. No, nothing, nothing's ever going to change. Wonderful co-host you are. Uh, next week we're doing Jeepers Creepers on Bloggy's behest, and I'm quite looking forward to that. Oh, Jeepers Creepers. Yep, I wonder if we're going to get the old Jeepers Creepers after watching it. So that's next week. So until then, where can the world find you online, Elizabeth? You can find me at Bloggy Balboa on Twitter and on them Googles. <laughs> yeah, just Google Elizabeth and she'll find her eventually. Just Google me, all right? <laughs> yeah, <do you> know? <laughs> all right, A-list celebrity, Google me. You know who I am. Uh, if you want to find me, what I watch tonight.co.uk, Rotten Tomatoes for the film reviews, and then search what I watch tonight on Twitter and Instagram, and you'll find me there. Thank you again for listening. Until next time from me, see ya, and from Bloggy. Whisper, bye, 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 bye.